Welcome into the Jaguars Broadcast Week in Review podcast presented by TIAA Bank. J.P. Shadrick with you, and today is Friday, February 19th. We've got plenty to review from a busy week, including additions to GM Trent Baalke's staff, Charlie Strong discussing his history with legendary college coaches, and the Teal Talk hits a fever pitch. Remember to subscribe to the Jaguars official podcast network on Apple iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. Give us five stars and a comment while you're at it. Let's start with Monday's Jaguars Reporters podcast. Ashlyn Sullivan, Brian Sexton, John Osher, and yours truly broke down defensive coordinator Joe Cullen's thoughts on a 3-4 defense versus a 4-3 and what the Jaguars might do. Now, it's interesting, guys, because Joe has run both systems. And, of course, every team runs a variance of both systems. It's, you know, when you put the linebacker on the strong side up on the line of scrimmage and you see you got four men there. The one thing you know you have is you've got some rush backers, guys who can play Caleb on chase on um, and Josh Allen who can work from a three, four or work from a four, three. The other side of the four, three, or the three, four thing is you've got to have inside linebackers. You've got that. Miles Jack and Joe Schobert are two guys who can fill those roles inside. If you wanted to lean more towards a 3-4, you just have to go get a big nose tackle. My guess is they're going to lean toward a 3-4. I guess my ultimate thing on this is always, you know, in the Ozone mailbox, there has been question after question after question about the 3-4. And it's like the wizard came out from behind the curtain and handed Dorothy a 3-4, and all of a sudden you've got a magic defense that's, <laughs> that's the end all. If you've got really good players in a 4-3, you know what happens? You wind up being second in the NFL in total defense in 2017, and you almost go to the Super Bowl. If you've got players who aren't that good and aren't playing fast, you're not very good. Basically the same things through of a 3-4, guys. If you've got good players in it, and they're playing hard, and they're playing fast, I know that's Urban's big thing on defense, play fast. If you've got good players doing that, you're going to be okay if you run a 1-6. <laughs> right. I like Joe Collins said the other day, right? I mean, it's – yeah, we have history in both, but it's so early in his tenure, right? He's only a few weeks into the role. They haven't figured out what they're doing in free agency or all that stuff yet. You know what they are? They're multiple. That's what he said. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, we can do all this stuff. They're going to switch it around. The multiple now. That's Yay. what it is. Yeah. They all run everything. I caught myself bummed out. I was tweeting. I was like, ah, he's not going to give us an answer. And then I thought to myself, why would he give us an answer? Right. It's February, Schlin. Chill out. You don't even know what players you have. Why is he going to say it right now? The Jaguars Reporters Podcast runs Monday afternoons on the official Jaguars Podcast Network. Tuesday morning, it's Jags drive time, and they dug into the Ozone mailbag this week for a question about Trevor Lawrence's preferred landing spot in the NFL. To wrap up Ozone's snapshot here in Jacksonville, Kyle, what do you got for us? I'm as excited as anyone else about Trevor Lawrence coming to Jacksonville. Is there any chance he might refuse to play here? I believe it's happened a couple times before. Manning, Elway, any concern here, Mr. Osier? No. (laughs) N-O, period. And and, I I was going to stop there, but I can't be just one word guy. Look, he's clearly communicating with Urban Meyer. He came out in the draft knowing the Jaguars had the pick. This is, you know, Jaguars fan angst popping back up, worry over nothing. All of these things, he's not going to say no to playing here. There's no reason to write stories or comment in the comments section about, hey, it looks like Trevor maybe likes to. 
if they draft him, which I firmly believe they will, he's going to play here. The, as a Seinfeld said, or as uh, Banya said on Seinfeld, this is the meal. This is what it is. He's going to be here. Enough with the drama. Um, I, I, here's what I can add. Why wouldn't you want to live in Jacksonville, right? I mean, you people around the league like to poke fun because the team hasn't been that good in recent years. Uh, but that's why he's coming here. You know, he's coming here to lift this franchise up. Where would you rather live right now? In North Florida or in New York? I, are you kidding? I forget the taxes. We all know the tax situation here. Uh, but the sunshine, he's going to make enough money that if he wants to live on the ocean or on the river, he's going to be able to do that. Uh, and we are living in an open society of responsible people who are dealing with the pandemic as opposed to one that's been closed down for all this time. Where would you want to come? Plus, he's from Georgia. I mean, it's not like he's from New York or New Jersey or Pennsylvania and wants to go home. He is home. And no, this is a great market. This is a great place to live. And once ownership gets this thing turned around, it's going to be a great franchise. And he's a big part of that. No, if I'm him, Jacksonville sounds really, really good to me. Brian. What? Whoa, 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 Brian, live on the river. He's going to be able to buy the river. Are you kidding me? He's going to own yeah. the river. Now to a member of the Jaguars coaching staff. In fact, the first hire Urban Meyer made was Charlie Strong. He's the assistant head coach and will also coach inside linebackers. Strong has a long history in college football as a defensive assistant, and he had runs as a head coach at Louisville, Texas, and South Florida. He met Meyer back when both were at Notre Dame, working under Lou Holtz, and Strong was an assistant for Steve Spurrier, Ron Zook, and Meyer with the Florida Gators. On the Ozone Podcast this week, Strong discussed his history working under some college coaching heavyweights. Mentioned Holtz. You worked under Spurrier. You worked under Meyer. That's starting to be like Rushmore type stuff. How big of an influence, how special is that resume, I guess, if you will? And just talk about their influence on you. Well, I, I tell you, my journey, I've had an amazing journey. And, and uh, this profession has been really good to me because, you know, I started really with Charlie Pell as a GA oh, back right. back yeah. during the day and, uh, and at, at the University of Florida. You probably and, got some stories from that Oh, era oh yeah, with, with Coach <laughs> Pell, you know. And, and at that time, if you think about it, and and that's kind of where um, – just where – I have so many friends because, you know, from Gary Road and Neil Anderson to Crawford Kerr to Nolomus Brown, you know, a lot of those guys, Eric Hodges, a lot of those guys, we, we still stay in contact okay. with one another. And, you know, it started, it started Brett Wigman. It just started building from there. But uh, I had, I, you know, in this profession, I've worked for Coast Spurrier. I worked for Lou Holtz. I have worked for Urban Meyer. I've worked for Nick Saban. Uh, and so, and then uh, there's Ron Zuck. I've worked for Zucker. Uh, I, Gary Darnell had taken over a, mm-hmm. a year or two at Florida. I was at Ole Miss with, with uh, Billy Brewer. Uh, I was a GA with Jackie Sherrill. So, I mean, I've had some different personalities. Mm-hmm. And what you try to do with each one of those coaches, you try to take a piece from them because you can't be them. You have to be yourself. But it, it's always – where when it, either where you're building a program or you've been around coaches that have had a lot of success, you try to just, you know, you, you watch them. Like I had a chance um, just last season to spend it at, at Alabama with Coach Saban, and, and you can see why he's successful and you can see why he's probably, he will go down as one of the uh, best coaches to ever coach in college football because he, he has – 
he knows what he is a process. He knows what he wants to do and he does not deviate from that process. And you have, and you know yourself what to expect. Cause a lot of times <clears throat> you've seen it where you don't know what to expect and you kind of every day is asking a question. What we're going to do? No, no. Every day, you know, at this time, we're going to do this. At this time, we're going to do this. And the players even know it. So, and, and no, and being with Coach uh, Spurrier, I always say this about Coach Spurrier. He changed college football. Because you can remember when he came in the Southeastern Conference, it was three yards in a cloud of dust. You know, you know they rammed the ball, jammed the ball, jammed the ball. You run, run, run. And then coach came in and he starts spreading people out and he made you, he made you defend the width of the field and the length of the mm-hmm. field. And he just opened it up and, and that's the first time, you know, people always talk about, you know, matchups, matchups. Coach has started that back in the nineties because if you think about when we had Reedell and you had Ike and you had Chris Doran, you had Danny Warfel, you, you had McKenzie. all those, McKenzie, yeah. you had all those different players, but they were making plays and, and he would, you know, he would flex guys out like Aubrey Hill. He would put Aubrey in at tight end and mm-hmm. flex him out into the boundary and, 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 uh, see the mismatch with a linebacker, but he changed college football and, and it was just, uh, having a chance to just work with different coaches with different personalities, but they all were winners and, and they had a, a way about themselves of the way they wanted to get it done. When we return, breaking down additions to the personnel staff with Bucky Brooks and hashtag teal with it. All that after this. Jags fans, fill your wallet with one debit card that screams Duval exclusively from TIAA Bank. The Jacksonville Jaguars Visa debit card comes with a fierce look and fantastic features so you can pay with pride wherever you go. And it's yours free when you open a Yield Pledge checking account. Up your financial game today. Visit a financial center near you or find us at TIAABank.com slash JagsCard. TIAA Bank is a division of TIAA, FSB, member FDIC, and the official bank of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Welcome back to the Jaguars Broadcast Week in Review podcast presented by TIAA Bank. New head coach Urban Meyer is locked in and ready to deliver a championship to Northeast Florida. Don't miss your chance to be at the bank this fall and watch history in the making. You can lock in your tickets for the 2021 season by placing a deposit right now at Jaguars.com. Limited lower bowl tickets are remaining. Call 633-2000 and learn more. Remember also to subscribe to the official Jaguars Podcast Network. You've probably done that if you're listening to this. You can get it on Apple iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Leave a comment for us, and while you're at it, give us five stars, please, and thank you. On to what was called Jaguars Happy Hour on Wednesday. Now it is transformed into the Huddle Up podcast, posting Wednesday mornings. This week, NFL media analyst Bucky Brooks, Jag senior writer John Osier, and yours truly dissected the additions on general manager Trent Baalke's staff. And Bucky explained who these guys are and the process of mastering an internal language. Uh, Trent Baalke's been a busy man, adding some names to that side of the hallway. Tom Gamble, senior personnel executive. Michael Davis added, a senior personnel executive, was with Baalke at the Jets, and he'll focus on college prospects. Trip McCracken, the director of roster management, 18 years in the NFL. He's the lead contract negotiator. He has been in his past. That'll likely be his role here. And Drew Hughes, a player personnel coordinator. Uh, He's been a recruiting coordinator for three different SEC schools what do you know about any of these guys, Bucky? No, really good staff that they're putting together. So Gamble has always has been with Bucky a few different stops. I think they were together in San Francisco. 
maybe. I know he was there when Chip Kelly was there. So, yeah, so Gamble is a guy who um, is his right-hand man, a trusted confidant when it comes to building the team and division. Mike Davis, I know really well. He and Trent work together with the Jets. He's been a long-time scout. He will handle a lot of the college stuff. And so as they're trying to blend this staff with what is already there, particularly during this draft, Trent wants to make sure that he has enough of his quote-unquote guys in to make sure that the players and the scouting evaluation is kind of done through the way his lens, through the lens that he has always viewed football, obviously with uh, Urban Meyer's input, but that's what he's assembling. And so he's trying to bring about guys who kind of see the game as he sees it. And remember, when Trent was with the New York Jets, uh, that's a Bill Parcells deal. Mike Davis, Bill Parcells deal. So there's a level of toughness and grit in those things that they're trying to make sure that all these players have. And so that's what they're putting together. And I think, um, you know, with, with Trip McCracken doing the cap, he obviously will handle negotiations. And then when you talk about the coordinator position, it's tying it all together. And so I think you're seeing a mix of Trent's guys with urban guys as they're trying to blend this department together. So everyone has the trust that they need to have with the people that are working in the building. JP, I'll leave uh, the breakdown of the staff to Bucky, but I do have one uh, quick because he knows far more in depth about scouts in this league than I do. The question I had for you, Bucky, the process that they're going through now, when you bring in personnel people, everybody involved with the Jaguars personnel, the people here, here, who were here before, and these people, they obviously know how to scout, but how, big of a process it is to a learn the language that everybody speaks because different staffs come from different backgrounds and, and how to translate what you want and then how to translate that over to how do we find an urban Meyer kind of player? And I'm not asking the question very well, but I think you know what I'm getting at. Mm -hmm. How long a process is it to mesh? How much of a language barrier, if you will, uh, what will that process look like as they go forward? You know, that's a really, really interesting question. It's one of those things where I wish I could sit in the meeting just in the back room and just kind of see what the conversations are like with Urban, Balky, and their respective staffs. I think at some point you have to get everyone in the same room, coaches, scouts, and you almost have to go down each position and be able to clearly define what it is that you're looking for at that position. Not only um, – the playing specifics in terms of how they play scheme fit and those things. But what are the core characteristics? We used to call them critical factors. What are the things that everybody has to have from an intangible standpoint? We want these kind of guys when it comes to character, football character, moral character. We want these kind of guys when it comes to their overall toughness, whether it's injury history and those things we want these kind of guys when it comes to leadership and their ability to blend into the cultural the, as cultural fits, mm -hmm. all of those things have to be defined. I would anticipate that Urban takes the lead on that, but because he's still a little new to the NFL, Balky would kind of fill in the gaps when it comes to those things. But that takes two, three years to fully get everybody on the same page, seeing it and evaluating it and making those decisions off of that. And so we'll see how it goes. It's just one of those things that's a work in process. I will say this. Normally, you don't see this much personnel change until after the draft. Right. The fact Very that quick. they're bringing in 
so many guys now. I mean, we named off, what, four or five guys? You normally don't see that in the personnel department now. So I don't know what that means for the holdovers, but Trent Baalke and Urban Meyer are certainly putting their stamp on what the personnel department, the front office is going to look like going forward. All right. It's the Huddle Up podcast. J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, John Osher, and somebody's dog in the background. I, I'm not that sure. Is, that, is, that is Sunday. That is Sunday. <laughs> Sunday is letting it be known that she wants to be a part of the process. And so she's, she's just barking away. I, I, maybe Bring the her in. Here. Bring maybe her in. in. <laughs> Bring, she can join next week. Huddle Up Sunday. Come on in. We've gone to the dogs. It's a great discussion, though, with Bucky each week on the Huddle Up podcast. That's Wednesday mornings on the official Jaguars podcast network or jaguars.com. Finally, the teal reveal. Back on Monday, the at Jaguars official Twitter account started posting record album style photos with cryptic wording. Well, the first letter of each post added up to teal is primary. And then the account asked if 21,000 would retweet the teal announcement, the primary uniform would then be teal. Well, that post got just under 24,000 retweets, so it's a done deal. Head equipment manager Jimmy Luck joined us on Jaguars Happy Hour Thursday afternoon to explain. Jimmy Luck has been all over every media outlet in Jacksonville, Florida over the last two days. Yeah. And we're, we're glad you're on this one, Jimmy. It's great to see you. What's up? Well, I, I've been hearing about it, too. Uh, <laughs> you know, even the new coaches, they they already on me about it. I so. bet they are, right? I mean, now no, Jimmy's the star, right? You're the you're the guy. It's in the press does, release. Does Jimmy has his own public relations staff. I mean, I press so. releases. I mean, very well-written releases, statements. I mean, Pretty wow. Pretty good. Yeah, un- unfortunately, I've become the face of the teal, ra- of the teal jersey, which is not a good... I don't have. I have a face for radio. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, it is something else. I mean, this is this was uh, really a fan-driven deal, Jimmy. I mean, every Wednesday on Happy Hour during the season, we unveil the uniforms for Sunday. Mm-hmm. You unveil the uniforms for Sunday, but um, you You're always get some kickback on social media because people are all over you. Yeah, no matter what I bring out, they don't like. Uh, but that's. I mean, that's part of it. It's it's fun though to to interact with those guys and. The fans, I mean, you know, they, they're the ones that, that wanted the, the teal and as, as well as the players, too. Um, you know, we try to make everybody happy. Don't always do that. But uh, I think everybody's fired up about, uh, about going back to the teal. So what would be the, the combination with the pants? I mean, it, obviously the teal jerseys, the helmets will stay pretty much the same. So is it a combination with white pants like going back to the beginning, uh, Jimmy, or might it be – some different variations, maybe teal pants, maybe black pants. Yeah, I mean, I would foresee us most of the time wearing the white pants with the teal jerseys, kind of like um, like back in the day. But also, um, you know, the all teal went over really well. So I imagine us at least doing that once. Um, and then maybe just to switch it up, you know, the black pants here and there. Because um, I think that's I, – I like the contrast of the black and teal. Um you know, we're probably not going to wear that like September 1st when it's a thousand degrees outside. But, um, you know, I, I definitely think we'll we'll get a combination of all three, but probably mostly the white with the teal. Also check out the teal reveal video on Jag social media and Jaguars.com featuring defensive end Josh Allen. 
Coming up this week, the opening of the franchise tag window. That's February 23rd, this coming Tuesday. It's the first day teams can designate a franchise player. There's a couple of weeks window to get that done, and we'll see what the Jaguars might have in mind, if anything at all. We're inside four weeks from the opening of the 2021 NFL League year and the start of free agency. And that all gets going at 4 o'clock Wednesday, March 17th. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. I'm J.P. Shadrick. We'll catch you next week on the Jaguars Broadcast Week in Review podcast presented by TIAA Banks.